Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, how many of you are here Sunday night? Were you blessed? I tell you what, um, just hearing the testimonies of the of the teens when they come back from camp always encourages me. And I made mention of that on Monday night. The pastor was a little delayed getting to prayer, and so we started off, you know, prayer just Monday night, just talking about how you know what a blessing it was to be here on Sunday night listening to them and everything. And so about that time, you know, I, you know, I just feel like just talking about kids tonight and um, about investing in our children. And I tell you. You know, when you see these teenagers, you know, and how they come back changed, they come back different, you know, sometimes, you know, you have a tendency, you may have a tendency to think, well, they're just on an emotional high from camp. But I'm telling you what, there are things that God deposits in them when they're at camp that they cannot get away from. You know, they may, you know, at some point may not be as as on fire as what they were when they got back. But I'm telling you what, the things that God puts in their heart during that week is incomparable and cannot be denied. And it will come back. And so I, I want to just, just start off by reading you a couple of things. One of them is very recent. It's from a, uh, a lady that, uh, whose son comes to church here on Wednesday nights. I think he comes every once in a while on a Sunday, but lives in Pastor Greg's neighborhood. And the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, you'll see from this what she wrote here um, about this. But, um, you know, this family is not currently in church, but they allow their son to come to youth. And, uh, you know, my grandkids are real big on inviting other kids to come. Whether, you know, if, if, they're, if they go to church, maybe their church doesn't have a youth group. Maybe their church doesn't meet on, on Wednesday nights. It's not about growing the numbers. It's about impacting the lives. And so this is what this lady wrote on her own Facebook page. And, and uh, I won't give you her name, but, um, and I won't, I won't read his name either. But this is what she wrote. When your teen boy comes home and talks almost nonstop about his week, what he learned, his life goals, how he'll obtain them, what he'll work on, etc., then goes to his room before his phone that he hasn't had all week, and you find him reading his Bible and writing things down and just full of life. That's when you say, money well spent. That's an investment I'm willing to make. These pics, and she'd put up some of him, you know, from camp, are worth a thousand words. And we can't express how proud we are of the mature man our son is becoming. He was finally baptized this week, was saved several years back, made real friendships, had experiences he'll never forget, and thinks he might want to study at a Bible college and work more on his education. He even got on Instagram, went home, and invited his friends to know God. That's what social media and peer pressure should look like. We pray his sister will decide to attend next year. After the winter retreat in February, we knew we'd invest in this forever. We're super-duper proud of him and beyond grateful for deeper youth camp in Panama City Beach, Impact Family Church, the Andersons, our neighbors, and, of course, our Heavenly Father for all that they do to mentor our youth. Is that not amazing? Amazing. And I knew I had a letter from somebody that was sent here years ago. And so I finally found it today. You know, I'm not really much of a, of a pack rat. You know, I don't tend to keep things. But this one I had kept, and I thought I had kept it. So I went back, and I started looking, and I did find it. And this young lady lives in, in California these days, but um, this is what she wrote. She said, Dear Pastor, I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you and your youth ministry. I attended Faith Christian Fellowship. Actually, her letter was sent here in 2011 when we were still Faith Christian Fellowship. It says, I attended Faith Christian Fellowship with a friend of mine when I was a young teenager, or the youth group to be more precise. While I attended, I always enjoyed myself. Lately, I have been reflecting on that experience and realized how that time in youth group blessed me even today. I have recently found a church in San Francisco, not unlike FCF, which I'm really excited about. This has, this has brought me back to my Bible, which was a gift from your church when I graduated high school in 2000. 
Thank you again for such a great, important graduation gift. Between those two things, I could just sit at my desk and just cry. And I, and I realized, you know, that we need to stop at times and take stock of the fact that we invest in these children. And we don't invest in them just because they're teenagers. We invest in them at an early age. You know, Miss Jackie, you know, who's now in Tajikistan, was director of the primary department for 25 years. And uh, there, she, she relayed to me a story a number of years ago about somebody she had run into that had gone here when they were a child and how much they thanked her, you know, for, for putting into her, them what she had during the time that they were in the primary department. And you see, that's our goal. You start off you know, teaching them that God loves them and that God heals and that God provides over here, and you get them over here, and, and you're, you're looking to get them born again. And Miss Jackie, if she can, she don't care how young they are, she, she was interested, and I, think, and I know they still are interested, in getting them spirit-filled. And if they're not, by the time they get over to that building, then they're interested in teaching them how to flow in the Holy Ghost, how to get born again if they're not born again, how to get spirit-filled if they're not spirit-filled, how to walk in the things of God. They come down to showtime. They're, they're, taught, they're taught things about character, you know, how they put the God that's on the inside of them into action in their everyday lives. And, you know, if, if they follow through that whole pattern, and, of course, we have kids who come at every stage of their lives. Some don't get here until they, they get to be teenagers, you know, when somebody from high school invites them to come. You know, but I'm telling you what, there is a pattern and a path that's followed from babies all the way into teens, and now they sit over here in this section where the regular teenagers aren't messing with them. And then they get married, and they have kids, and the process starts all over again. But I'm telling you, there is, a, there is a priceless thing you and I can do when it, that's called investing in our children. The world is looking to do their best to indoctrinate and to brainwash the children of today. Uh, you know, I was, I was reading some things, and... Um, I, I ran across something, and I did not write down, you know, this is from some old notes that I had, and I did not write down where I got this from, but uh, it was talking, this was probably back from the 80s, and it's, it was talking about how the, that the society that we were in was trying to take a hold of our children and, and to change them, and the, the statement was made, though they concede they will never change the current culture, they have their eyes on our children and grandchildren. Let me tell you, folks, there is a great widespread method that the enemy is using that he's been using for a long time and is currently employing to great degree to change our culture, to change our way of life, to change the thinking by getting through to our children. And it's our job to make sure that does not happen. You know, we have seen some things in the last, oh, generation that you would never have thought would happen. But yet when you take a look at it and you go back through the centuries, you see that it's, it's not a pattern that just started. It's not a pattern that's new, but it's a pattern that's old. In Nazi Germany, Hitler knew that the way to change his country and to change the way they thought, the ideology that people lived their lives around, was to get a hold of the youth of that nation. That's not changed. We've seen in more recent days over in Africa where they have taken children and turned them into soldiers who thought nothing of shooting someone who thought nothing of beheading someone. In just the last five years, you've seen pictures. Well, thank God they didn't, they didn't work totally graphic, but, you know, of, of people in, in different countries where they would behead someone just because they were Christians and see children walking around with another person's head, you know, laughing. That's what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to subvert our children, if he can take our children from us, if he can change the way they think, if he can change the way they view things, if he can change the way they act, the way they go forward, 
he will win. But I'm telling you what, the church of the living God is here to prevent that from happening. And we are here to invest in children and to put them on the right path that they should go. Um, Psalm 24, go over there. Psalms 24. Hallelujah. David had a lot to say about generation and the next generation. And you know, it's true that if we make sure that we take care of, tend to, and invest in the next generation, that God's will will be done on a perpetual basis. But I'm telling you what, if we let go and we don't grab hold of and maintain a grip on the things of God and pass that on to the next generation, the generation that follows them will know nothing about God whatsoever. Amen? It's true. We're seeing that. I mean, we, we, see, we see what happened from the 60s. We were, chi- we're children of the 60s. The rebelliousness that came in in the 60s has led to, the, to a deterioration of parenting skills that has led to a society today that doesn't respect much of anything. And that's what happens with the things of God. If we don't teach children the things of God, if we don't invest our time and our effort into them, they will not learn these things. And there will come a day when, when their lives will be totally bankrupt. They will not know anything about God. But we can, we can keep that from happening. But here's what David wrote, starting in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend to the hill, to, into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his, his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face. Can we say that this is the generation that seek your face, Lord? You know, children learn from the atmosphere that they're in, from the environment that they're in, from the places they go, the people they associate with, the things that they see. You know, it's all around them. It's not just at home. And and we're not here to take the place of their parents but we are here to add our faith to theirs. I know there are children who come, you know, who come even in Showtime and maybe Faith Island. There are certainly the kids that come as teenagers, you know, whose parents may not know God, whose parents may not serve God. I mean, there's lots of times we've seen kids who've come and gotten involved in the youth group, and, and they come from a family that's unchurched, and they come into an atmosphere where God is real. If you've ever wondered what rage is all about, when Pastor Greg first came back home and was it 2003, said, I want to change the name of the youth group. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, you're not going to like it. And I'm going, okay, tell me. Just try me. And he goes, I want to call it rage. I'm going, rage? Okay. Would you like to explain that to me? And he goes, yeah. It stands for Real Authentic God Experience. And I believe over the years that that's what he's done over there. Is he, he's given them a place to experience a real, authentic God experience. But you know what? That experience shouldn't just be contained in a youth room. Anytime they're in this building, they should experience the same thing. Could we name that Rage East and Rage West? You know, I don't know. What can we do about that? You know, but here's, here's the thing. We can be the people who invest in these kids all the time. And we are investing in them, whether we understand it, whether we realize it, or whether we don't. We're investing in them every single time. We are not here as a church to take the place of their parents unless their parents are not here, unless their parents are not serving God. We could serve as an example of people who do serve God to them. But if their parents are serving God, we're to add our faith to theirs. You know, I, I wrote something down, you know, today, and I, and I thought, this is, this is kind of the crux of it. We need to be doing our part, you know, in this church, whether it's you're in the classroom or whether you're just in the congregation. We should be doing our part to enhance, to develop, and to nurture God's plan for every child's life. 
I know without a doubt that there are people who serve in these children's departments who pray for these kids and who see them up close and who see some of the, some of the things that God is putting in them and can maybe even get a glimpse of what God has planned for them in the days ahead. And those people, <clears throat> I believe, are taking the opportunity to do what they can, whether it's in praying and in teaching or just encouraging them to step in to some of the things that God has for them in the days ahead. You know, you don't have to look at a child and say, oh, you are called to the ministry. In fact, yes, I, I actually discourage people from doing that because <clears throat> coming from a pastor's home, being in the ministry, having children, and one who's in the ministry and one who's, who's, who's definitely involved greatly and heavily in his own church in Tampa and the Ministry of Helps, I think one of the worst things you can do is to tell a child early that you have a call on your life. You have a call to the ministry. Everybody's got a call, folks. Not everybody is called into the five-fold ministry, but everybody has a call. Everybody. But it's, I don't think you're helping a child when you say you're called into the ministry. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. You're going to be that. If God tells you that, that's wonderful. You pray. As a parent, you pray it out. You begin to say, Lord, what can I do you know, to make, to make the, the path that, that you have set their feet upon to make it easier? What can I do to, to pray out the, some, of the, some of the trouble spots ahead, some of the places where the enemy would try to detour them? What can I do? Because here's the thing. The reason I don't like to tell a child that is because I understand, having been in the ministry all these years, that you will have to find yourself at a place where the enemy, you will find yourself at a place where the enemy will tell you that you're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. That God did not tell you to do this. you got no business doing this. Because there are days when you feel like, what am I doing? What it, what, I mean, you know, I I don't even know if I know my way home, much less, you know, how to, how to minister to somebody. What, what? What am I doing? The enemy will, will jump on that. And here's the thing. You have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt when you're in the ministry that God is the one who put that in your heart. That someone didn't come along and plant it in your mind. I had someone tell me one time who was in the ministry and who's, and who's a sibling had gone in the ministry, and they made the statement to me that they said, I was never really sure if my brother went into the ministry just because I was or not. See, you have to know for yourself, when you're in the ministry, you have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is the one who called you. Because if you're not sure of that, then it's easier just to say, eh, I'll go find something else to do. And so that's why I don't like telling people that. I don't like, I don't like people prophesying over a child. You know, that, that's just maybe a personal opinion. Um, but but I, I do know that that has to be something that, that as a person who goes into ministry, you have to be so settled on. You have to be so sure of. You have to be so, so rock solid in your conviction that God is the one who called you, that you cannot be swayed from it, even in times when you're discouraged, even in times when it looks like nothing's happened, even in times when it looks like you're in the middle of a desert and there is no, no nothing that can be found to refresh you. I know that there are those times. And so, you know, we understand that, that every, God's got a call on every child. And so we want to invest in them so that they find those places as they grow up. As, and they could find it early. They, they could know early what God's plan is. for them. They could be teenagers graduating from high school and still not know. They could be graduating from college and still not know. I was buried for almost 10 years before God, well, yeah, almost 10 years before, you know, we left for Bible school. And it was, it was longer than that when I finally realized one day, I've got a call on me. And yet I can look back in my life and see people who invested in me because they saw something I did not see. They saw something. 
And they invested their time and their energy in me. And they put something in me that I can look back on to this day and say, thank God that lady was my teacher when I was 13 years old. Thank God that lady was, was, my, was my, you know, my pastor or, or whatever when I was a little kid. There are, there are those things you know, that you and I can invest in. And, and it's not just the ministry staff that needs to invest in. It's every person in this room that can invest in these children. You know, I don't have children or my kids are grown and gone or you know, whatever. You can still invest in them. You know, if, if you're open, God can, can lead you to certain kids and you don't even have to say anything to them. You can just say, they've become my prayer project. Miss Iris has more times than one told me about, about somebody that God gave her as a prayer project. You know, you don't have to be their teacher. You can just be somebody who sees that child and goes and has a heart for them. You know, that, that's... That's, that's all it takes. You have a heart for them. Um, Psalm 48, verse 13. Psalm 48. This says, Mark you well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, and here's the key, that ye may tell it to the generations following. What do we have to tell to the generations following? You know, you can just be an example just when they come to church of somebody who is engaged in a service, who worships God with everything that's in them. You know, children are watching. They're paying attention. You may not think they're paying attention to you, but they are. I remember a number of years ago, oh gracious, it's been, oh, probably 25 years ago, uh, we had we had somebody who was who was teaching in in our children's area, and you know we had three services a week back then, just like we do now. And uh, had had a little little one, probably eight or nine years old, ask his her mom, why doesn't Miss So and So come back to church on Sunday nights? I thought, well, that's real telling. She didn't last much longer in that in that position because. As you, if you've been around here for very long, you know we have, we have some eligibility requirements that we, you have to be in church X amount of times because what we were wanting to try to do is to make sure that you're in an in-service enough to get fed yourself so you have something to give during those times. But this little child realized that the person who taught them in Sunday mornings didn't think enough of church to come back that night. What did that say to them? It spoke volumes what to, to me that if just as an adult, I mean, I don't know what, how a child actually thinks, but I, I can kind of, I can understand how that kind of a view would kind of undermine their confidence in what teacher told them on Sunday morning. This must be real sobering because y'all are all so serious looking. Really serious. Oh my goodness. It's a serious business. It really is. It's serious. If we understand the fight that we're in for our children, for the children of this generation, then we would understand this is a very serious subject. Hallelujah. You know, we, uh, we, we think sometimes that we don't have anything to offer kids, but we do. You know, I was looking today over in Titus. Uh, fact is, just go with me over there, Titus. Everybody know where Titus is? It's right after Timothy. Chapter 2, he's, Paul is writing this to Timothy, and he's, he's talking about things that Timothy should do, how he should teach, how should, he should conduct himself as a pastor. And in verse 1, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, I won't ask who's aged in here, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and in patience. The aged, I don't like that one, women, likewise they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, nor given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, 
keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So I went back and I pulled out my Amplified Bible. And this, here it is. He's telling Timothy, you need to teach the older men and the older women so that they can in turn teach the younger ones. And here's what he said. Um, as he, I'll start in verse 3. Bid the older women similarly to be reverent and devout in their deportment as becomes those engaged in sacred service, not slanderers or slaves to drink. They are to give good counsel and be teachers of what is right and noble so that they will wisely train the young women to be, this is not the amplified version, sane and sober. <laughs> sane and sober-minded. <laughs> I, I was like, really? Sane? Okay, obviously this is a different term than what we kind of used to in that you know, connotation. But anyway, sane and sober-minded, temperate, disciplined, to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, homemakers, good-natured, kind-hearted, adapting and subordinating themselves to their husbands, that the word of God may not be exposed to reproach, blasphemed, or discredited. In a similar way, urge the younger men to be self-restrained and have prudently, to behave prudently and take life seriously. So then I went to my 26 translations, and it says that they may teach... Here, my mic's coming off, sorry. That they may teach the young women to be sober. That is, they may teach discretion. Another version says must learn orderly behavior. Uh, to love their husbands, to love their children. When it goes down, it says to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good. One version says to be sober-minded, chaste, workers at home. Another says to be serious, pure, homekeepers, kind. Another one says to be sensible, chaste, good housekeepers, good-natured. Another one says to be discreet, pure-minded, domesticated, good women. Another one says to use good judgment and be pure, to keep house, to be good. And the Phillips translation says to be home lovers and kind-hearted. There is so much that you and I have to invest in these children. You know, we start with the Word of God, but then there's so much more we can teach them. You know, we sometimes think of, of youth as being you know, oh, just, you know, kind of out there. And, and, and it's almost like, you know, because we're living in a, in a current climate where there seems to be so much class warfare, rich against the poor, this ethnicity against that ethnicity. Uh, it's even come down to young versus old, as though the young have nothing to, to, to offer and the old are just old fogies. That's not true. Paul told Timothy to let people despise his youth. He was a young pastor. You know, and yet, you know, sometimes we look at young people as just, you know, they're just kind of out, you know, out in the ozone. They're just, you know, just, oh, they're just too fanatical. They're just this. You know what? There's a lot that we need to take from each generation. I suspect if you got a room full of people together, you split them all up, put this age over here and put people on this age over here, there might be things this, this group would have to say that, well, y'all don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't treat us this way and you don't, you don't respect us. And, and there's something this group could say to this group. But I'm telling you what, there's something every age group has to offer. There's something that every age group has to contribute to any society, and especially in a church family. And we ought to give credence and we ought to give heed to what they have. I see, I see zeal from Sunday night. I see zeal. I see passion. I see a drive in them that some of us older folks may lack. Just may lack. Not you, Sparky. But we may lack that. You know, there's something we can learn from them. Well, what can they learn from us? Wisdom. How to behave in this life. How to conduct themselves in this life. The entire book of Proverbs is about conducting yourself, taking the Word of God and applying it to your life. That's what it was all about. You know, we can help them with those things as well. 
They, they, they have something. They're gung-ho. They're ready to, to be on an adventure. They're ready to just step out there where some of us are like, uh, okay, you know, we don't like change. They love change. The new generation is, they, they love change. You know, and I, I was having a conversation this week with somebody about the fact that I'm a, I'm a child born in the, six, in the 50s and a child of the 60s. And, and when, I mean, it's only been X amount of years. Uh, but, but looking back, I mean, when I was growing up, when I was young in the 50s, we didn't have TVs. There were no TVs where I lived. I mean, and I remember the day we got a TV. It was black and white. You turned the knob to change the channel. I remember when we had no phone. Then I remember when we got a phone. It was a party line. You know, you shared it with three other households. I remember when milk was delivered to your door every morning. You put the empty bottle out. They left you a new one. You know, you put, you put the, 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 the quarter on the top of the, of the jug, and they, they took it, and it gave you another one. I remember a lot of things. You know, the way we had no air conditioning. You know, you, you had a fan, you know, you had windows that opened and screens. And you, I remember putting my feet on the wall at night during the summer just because it was the coolest thing around. You turn your pillow over a thousand times trying to find a cool spot. You know, all that kind of stuff. You're wrapping up in blankets, you know, in the winter because there was no such thing as central heat and air. The first time I experienced central heat and air was after we got married. And, and, we, and we bought a mobile home. That was my first experience with central heat and air. Listen, things changed a lot. In the 65, almost 66 years I've been alive, things have changed dramatically. But I'm telling you what, change is happening at such a rapid pace now that we have seen massive changes in the last five years. I'm talking five decades. This generation measures it in five years. It's amazing what's happened in five years. There are people who love change. I'm a person, I don't like change a whole lot. I like the status quo. I like to know where I'm going, what I'm doing. You know, I like it. I've got this set. I'll put furniture in one place. It'll be there 20 years from now. Same place. You know, that's how much I don't like change. I found a good spot for it. I think it's good enough. Let's just leave it there. Let's not try to rearrange the furniture. But, you know, we, there are things we can do. We need to have a more adventurous spirit sometimes as older people like they do. They need to have sound wisdom to move into those places of adventure. We can help them with that. We're here to help them in every area of life. We're here to teach them by precept and example. We need to make ourselves available to them so that they have somebody they can go to if, if they need if questions answered. If they have, how do I do this? What do I do about that? Can you tell me how... We need to be available to them, to help them with those kind of things. You know, our, uh, our job is to create and maintain a culture of faith in this place. That's what, for our children, we are to maintain, create and maintain a culture of faith. So what does the word culture mean? It means a sum total of ways of living built up by a group of human beings and transmitted from one generation to another. That's what I mean, a culture of faith. A sum total of ways of living built up by this body and transmitted from one generation to another. Isaiah 145 talks about one generation shall praise thy works to another. In Isaiah 51, he says, My righteousness shall be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. We have to be strong in the things of God. We have to be strong in living out our daily lives. We have to be strong because they need us to be strong. They need what we have. They need us to show them the way to go. We can't gauge what a child takes in. You can't always be sure what they understood what they took in. But I'm telling you what, it usually runs deeper than what we give them credit for. It usually makes a bigger impact than what we know. I expect there's been many times that there have been things put in, in you and in, in a lot of the people who have come up through the years you know, that 
that has come back to bless them at times when they needed it most. God brought those things back to their remembrance. He's brought back examples of God's faithfulness and his goodness because he sees your face. You know, you need to be those examples of what it's like to be a worshiper. You need to be an example of what it's like to be a believer. You need to be an example of what it's like to be a witness. You need to be an example of what it's like to be salt and light. You need to be an example of what it's like to stand your ground in the face of all kinds of things the enemy is throwing at you. You need to be an example of what it means to humble yourself in the presence of Almighty God and to follow the Word, to be a a doer of the Word. Not just a doer of what you like and what's comfortable and what's easy and what you agree with, but to be a doer of the Word regardless of what it costs, regardless of of how it goes against your natural grain, regardless of, of what, because you know it's the Word. To put yourself out there and let yourself become an example to them when they need something to refer back to, that you are what they refer back to. Because when they come in, they see your face and God's able to say, remember, remember, they showed you. They were a demonstration of what this looks like. They were a demonstration of what this looks like. They were a demonstration of how you respond at this particular moment. They were a demonstration of this. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. That's how we're investing in them. We invest as teachers in all these different places, all these different departments, but we invest in them. Sunday nights are, are, are a wonderful time to invest these kind of things into the children who are present in these services. They come in here from the time they're five years old on up. Sunday night is a wonderful, 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 wonderful time to invest in them. And yet so many times when we get so wrapped up in our own little world and our own little things, you know, that we think nobody's looking, I guarantee you somebody is. And it might be some young person. It might be. They need to see it. They need to see it. Your influence is profitable. It is profitable. God's word does not return void. Does not return void. We expect you to go into them and to make a difference. You know, as as parents, you know, of children, you know, who are being ministered to in all these different departments, you know, to me it would be it be advantageous for all of us when we go to, I, I learned this, you know, when my grandkids were young and I would be picking them up on Wednesday nights when service was over, to always say thank you to the workers who have invested their time during that service into your child. Thank them. I, I, I don't know of a time that I didn't thank them every time I picked a child up from the nursery, every time I picked them up from the primary department. Of course, by the time I got over there, they got over there, I didn't have to go pick them up anymore. Their mama picked them up because she was right there. But, but you, to thank them, they're taking their time. They're putting their effort. They're putting a lot into Thank them. Thank them for what they're putting into your children. Hallelujah. Let's see where we want to. Your faithfulness or your lack of faithfulness will show up in generations to come. If you don't think that it will, then you're just fooling yourself. And to think that you don't have an influence on all these people who surround you from week to week, service to service, it's just not so. Even the most introvert, I read this recently, even the most introverted person will influence at least 10,000 people in their lifetime. That's a huge number of people. So just don't say, but well, you know, I just kind of keep to myself. I'm an introvert. No, you're still influencing people. If you're coming in contact with anybody at all, you're influencing them. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. We may be through early tonight, but if we are, that's okay. We want our children, our teens, our young adults to succeed and do more and have more.
and what we did. The reason they're capable of doing that is because we're investing the word in them at such an early age. You know, I, I was raised in church. My first trip out of the house after I was born was to church. I was in church a lot growing up. And there's a lot of things I didn't know until I got to be an adult. Things people didn't teach me or that I was taught wrong. Traditions of men are hard to, hard to get out of people. But God got me out of, into a place where, where the, word, the real word could come into my life and show me something from the word that God wanted for me. Listen, these kids are starting at an advantage because they're starting early to find out what really belongs to them and who they really are. And they should succeed. They should go further. They should be able to do more than what we ever did. And you know what? They may have more physical energy and stamina than what we do as we get older. But we should never be comfortable, never be comfortable with seeing them having more zeal. I wrote this down. More zeal, more passion, more determination, more drive, more stability, more commitment, more faithfulness than what we have. There should be an across-the-board equal standing in these areas no matter what the age. It shouldn't be out of balance where these are the only ones you know, who are doing this and these are the only ones doing this. It should be equal across the board. We should not, no matter how old we've gotten, be comfortable with seeing them have more passion than we have, more commitment than what we have. It blesses me beyond measure you know, to see them come in and come to the front and I see these seats empty. I'm going, where's my older folks? Why, is, why isn't there more like, I want to I get close. I want to be up front. I want years ago, I'm telling you what, during the 70s and the 80s, the charismatic renewal, that would never have happened. Somebody wanted those front seats. And they were determined to get it. Determined enough they got here early. You see where those guys were sitting. Their front row's full. That one's not. Now, this one you can't have because it's got reserve signs on it, but it's available. That's row and that row. They're available tonight. What does that say? Mm, I don't hear any answers. No feedback here. We've just gotten comfortable just sitting a few rows back. No, just kind of winging it till 8.45. Where's our drive? Where's our desire to get all we can out of any service? Where's our drive to put all that we have into a service? You know, Wednesday nights, you know, we, we've, just, we've just got these young adults in here with us. The teens are next door. All the other kids are next door. But it's a good opportunity to practice zeal and to practice hunger and to practice thirst so that when they're in here, the teens are in here on Sunday mornings and the rest of the kids are in here on Sunday nights, that we have an example for them to follow. That we have something that we can put into them. They can experience what it's like to see adults who are all in where the things of God are concerned. But we want to invest that into them so that as they grow, as they grow up, that they can refer back to those times. They can refer back to the examples. And that they can thank God for the examples that were set before them. We need to appreciate what every generation has to offer. We need to take the things that they have and use it to enhance our own lives. And they need to take what we have and enhance it, use it to enhance their lives. Because here's the deal. We're in this together. That's the whole point. We're in it together. 
So I'll just end with this last scripture, Ephesians 4, 16. From whom the whole body, that's not just the whole adult body. It's not just the whole over 40 body or the whole over 50 body or the whole over 20 body. It's the whole body. That includes every age, every age. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. A couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night, we had a service that just turned into a believer's meeting, basically. If you, if you were here for that night, when so many people got, we, this, I mean, we, we'd gotten into a place of worship where we were just talking about just being grateful, you know, for the things of God. And we, and we found ourselves in that place, and people just began to come and just begin to testify of the things that they were grateful for. You know, and that night we had several young children come and take the mic, and talk about what they were grateful for. I'm looking for the day when they're that comfortable in any service that they can participate because I know God's going to work through a lot of them. I want them to find themselves in an environment where they're so loved, so nurtured, and so well um, taught and so surrounded by the things of God that they're, that they're comfortable just following the Spirit of God in any service. Because, again, the reason is we're in it together. And we need to preserve, protect, and defend our children, the next generation of believers. Because they're really not the next generation of believers. They may be the next generation, chronologically speaking, but I'm telling you what, this is the generation that will see the return of the Lord, and God wants to use everyone of every age during this, these last days. Amen. Pastor, you got something? I didn't have any idea what Pastor Angela was going to minister on tonight, but what she said I think is so important, and I remember uh, Brother Steve Green you gave a testimony a few weeks back about a man in the church that had made such an impact in your life. And when you, when you gave that, I don't know if the rest of you remember that, when you gave that testimony, was that that Sunday night? Why don't, why don't you come up, and, if you don't mind, and just give that again? It made a tremendous impact on me that night you gave that, and, and I think it'd be good to, to remind everybody. And if I, if I understand it right, this was a layperson in the church wasn't the pastor, it was just a man in the church that God used, made a tremendous impact in your life. He's talking about Lowell Parker, and uh, Lowell Parker's uh, wife has actually been in this church. She went home to be with the Lord, was it last year, Dad, or year before? Two years ago. And uh, she's actually been in the church here uh, with us a time or two when she visits, but he was our Royal Ranger commander, and uh, he served in different capacities in the church, I believe, Yes, like a Boy Scouts, but it was uh, it's a Christian-based uh, organization for, for boys. It's still very active today all over the country. Uh, but uh, he, he served as a deacon in the church um, and uh, in some other capacity. Was a deacon or elder? Yeah, he was an elder in the church. Back in the Assemblies of God, they had elders. Elders were basically uh, the top office you could serve in in the church without being in the full-time ministry. And, um, but he, he was just a faithful person. He was a very dedicated, very faithful man. Uh, he was not a, a person that was very assuming. He was just a, he was very disciplined. He was, he was not loud. He was not overt. But if you say anything about Lowell Parker, Lowell Parker was a faithful man. And he had such an impact on so many uh, young people in the church, and so did his wife, Jeanette. She was our missionettes uh, uh, leader for the church and served in other. That's, that was the, basically the, the young uh, girls' side of that and, uh, in our church. And uh, they had such a profound impact on so many young people. Uh, but, but when I got filled with the Spirit, we were at a, at a camp out, big uh, county region-wide camp out. There were hundreds, maybe even thousands of people there, uh, a lot of young, you know, young boys, teenagers, 
And we had a, a wonderful move of the Spirit one night in a service, outside service, and uh, in the and I was just at the place of being filled with the Spirit, and I was praying by myself in in, in the crowd there uh, with everybody else. And I remember very vividly that uh, I felt a hand on my back, and I turned and looked over my right shoulder, and it was Brother Lowell Parker, and he said to me, he said, "All you have to do is just yield." Just let, just let it come to you and, and begin to say those words. And he helped me very, very uh, easily to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that night. And, but his faithfulness to me was one of the greatest examples uh, of, of a man that I saw growing up. Uh, he was not related to me. Uh, I, you know, well, he was just a man in the church. But he impacted my life and and I have things that belong to him that I will always cherish. Things that I were able to, that I, physical things that I got from him, camping type stuff. And you can't buy those things from me. I won't sell them to you because they're valuable to me. And it's because of his faithfulness. But Lowell Parker did not just impact my life. He impacted a lot of men's lives, young men's lives. And there are men today all over this country that are in the ministry because of Lowell Parker's faithfulness. He was such a great person. And I had other, other people in my life as well. Obviously, you know, my parents and different ones. But, but as, a, as a person that you would look to as an example of people that invested in young men's lives, Lowell Parker was one of those people. And he was working in his church until the day he passed away. And he was still working with young men and young boys in his church, leading them, teaching them about how to be faithful followers of Christ. And he, I tell you, uh, I'll never be able to put a value on what he did for me. And so Lowell Parker was one of those people in my life. You know, Brother Parker was someone who actually was in a particular department, children's department. But I'm telling you what, I know of people in my own life that were not my teachers in departments, but they had an impact on my life. You have the potential to impact the young children and the teens of today. You know, and I believe we will. You know, I, I'm, so, I'm so blessed to know that a lot of you out there, we have quite a few teachers in the school system or people who work in the school system, and you have an opportunity to invest in children that you come across in the school system right now. You know, you may not have the same opportunity that we have, you know, like three services a week and all the different things we have going on around here for these children here, but I just thank God for you that God's placed you in, a, in an environment that you have the ability to touch lives that can have the ripple effect for generations, for generations, I'm telling you. So anyway... Praise God. Um, sobering message, I'm, I'm, I guess, since you were so quiet. I like, I like, the, I like the louder, more amen type sermons, but this one, this one just, you know, just something that I felt like, you know, after Monday, after Sunday night that I needed to do tonight. So uh, we love you. God bless you. We'll see you soon. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.